This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Thank you for tuning in to Body Talk. This is David Lasondak, Structural Integrator and Fascia Specialist at the Center for Integrative Medicine at UPMC. And today I'm really happy to have as a guest, not only a phenomenal doctor, but somebody who works with me, who's a colleague there at the Center for Integrative Medicine and a very dear friend of mine, functional medicine doctor, Carl Holzer. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. It's quite an honor to be uh, asked to be part of your podcast. And truly, I mean that with all sincerity. I really have come to know you very well and appreciate your work over the years. Not only, you know, your work with other patients, but for full disclosure, work on myself. So, and I, I really, uh, you know, you, I don't know, the magic that you did uh, to help me with specifically my lower back and sciatica issues. Um, Really, um, I cannot thank you enough for that incredible outcome from that. So, Well, I I appreciate the gratitude, Carl, that that's what I strive for with everyone and and working with you certainly upped my game. And, uh, you know, it's always... um, it's it's always a little more challenging to work with a professional because <laughs> there's there's a lot that you bring to the table quite literally that you know and uh, and there's a lot of cofactors one of which can be of course what we put into our bodies um, I deal with more how we wear our bodies and how our bodies get worn out on a physical level but you deal more with the internal level uh but it's it's a number of steps beyond nutrition per se and it's an area called functional medicine so why don't you explain what functional medicine is yeah forgive uh forgive me for the term well i guess not me but the the creators of this uh this genre of medicine called functional medicine uh because it's a it's a it's an interesting word. And um, yeah, when I heard it, I thought, wait a minute, that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Who's this guy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I would say many of us or most of us in this world actually just sort of hate the name, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but, but really what it is, is it's exactly what I wanted out of medicine, actually, whenever I, you know, signed up to go to medical school, um, it it's it's practicing medicine in a way that addresses like true root cause of illness, and I know that's sort of a kind of a that phrase even gets a lot of um, you know use uh, in in our world. Sure, it's cause. good marketing lingo. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it literally does, ad- it, 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 it addresses underlying physiology and biochemistry of reactions in the body that are undergoing in the body um, at a level, it really, again, down at the biochemical and physiologic level. And I'm really less concerned really about disease name as I am about the underlying 
biological processes that are, un, you know, that are at the basis or the base of all of this. And, and, and so, for example, a lot of the neurocognitive developmental disorders, I do work with, I'm a pediatrician, so I um, work with a lot of children. So I, I would venture to say, you know, things like ADHD and autism and anxiety and a lot of the neurocognitive concerns have at the root cause very common themes. And, and so it's less about like putting people in silos as it is to kind of get to this again, underlying physiology. And, uh, and, and so I think what the, 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 the folks that were coming, coming up with these name the name to name this back in the early to mid eighties, uh, you know, they were thinking, well, let's, what, what can we do to restore full function of the cell? You know, what are the foods maybe that might be functional or bring up better function of the cell, for example. Um, so, I, want, I like to think of functional medicine as being just really modern day medicine. And it's again, what I mm -hmm. really kind of signed up to do in, in medical yeah. school. And so this sounds to me like this would involve an awful lot of tests, does it? It does. It, and, and again, the history I love the bird that's chirping in the background, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, should I close the window? Because, um, you know, we're, we're taping here. And so, yeah, we're just having, we're having a nature moment here, listeners, and we're vibing I, on it. It's good. I love it. We should meditate because that's a big part of functional medicine as well. So uh, it, at any rate, to answer your question directly, it does involve a lot of testing um, and, and some basic biochemical testing that you might typically get at, for example, a Quest Diagnostics or a LabCorp or something like that. But it also involves a lot of other sort of sophisticated testing um, involving different body fluids, everything from saliva to urine, to blood, to stool. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but again, at the core of it all, really, it comes back to the history and this real intense engagement between the practitioner and the patient that is just beyond anything that can really truly be explained unless you've actually mm -hmm. encountered a visit with a functional medicine practitioner. Well, I think you spend anywhere from three to four hours on your initial intake interview, right? Uh, that might be a little exaggeration, but, okay. <laughs> but um, two hours is pretty typical for a complex adult, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't even count the amount of time that goes in on the front end, gathering the data from the, the families and reviewing past medical records, et cetera. Uh, and then because the person that's in front of me at the time of the encounter is a manifestation of their life journey, right? So it's mm -hmm. yeah. really not this person in front of me 
presenting with a headache, for example, it's, believe it or not, I'm more, I'm concerned about, you know, how they were born. Uh, you know, were they a vaginal delivery? Were they a C-section delivery? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that makes a difference. Uh, how was, what was mom's nutritional status at the time of preconception? I mean, these are, these are things that really, um, from a traditional model, don't really get thought about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. They really are very impactful in, in the way the patient manifests in front of me. Wow. So obviously being a pediatrician, it's a little easier to work with children because they have less of a history uh, to have to unwind and decode. But do you have a particular interesting example uh, of an adult patient that you've worked with that you were looking at the history of the mother and the father and the family and the parents in those first you know, first nine months or first 10 years of life that actually made a difference in the person in front of you today? Yeah. So, um, you're even like, uh, you know, younger adults. So I work through patients age 25 and I, and I actually used to take care of adults when I first started practicing this. Uh, and I realized that there were more than enough unfortunately, more than enough children to go around um, as a board certified pediatrician to keep me busy um, that, you know, that that's really where I decided to focus all of my energy. So, but I, I, you know, a patient that comes to mind is a, a young adult patient that had chronic years of migraine headache and, you know, uh, unfortunately, 10, you know, or so years of this chronic migraine story. And, you know, I, I'm always, you know, I'm struck when I ask the families, you know, well, can you tell me about, you know, your, your mom's history? Like what, tell me what was life like, you know, at the time that, you were conceived, what can you, not that you know that, but can you maybe get that information for me? Um, and many times the parent is there with them so I can get that directly, but um, it, it sounds like maybe a potential stretch uh, for the common, or common listener maybe, mm-hmm. but um, the stress, for example, the mental health status of the mom at the time of preconception uh, oh, yeah. can be, can be very impactful. Right. So, and just speaking in terms of, of cortisol activation, if you will, let's pick on this hormone that's excreted, you know, by this gland in our body, the adrenal gland that is very activating and, you know, mm-hmm. crosses the placenta and impacts the fetus. And well, uh, Okay, well, let's get personal here. Uh, yeah. When when I was conceived, um, my mother became aware that she was pregnant with me right around the time John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Mm. Mm. And she had often talked about like just standing there watching the TV, just wondering what kind of world she was bringing this child into. And 
this could be a whole other podcast, ladies and gentlemen, but I really internalize that stress. The, the memories that I don't have of the Kennedy assassination are somehow more vivid to me than the memories I do have of us landing on the moon. And there were other interesting uh, psychological factors that is I got in touch with in my mid-30s to early 40s. I'm like, aha, did this go all the way back there to that? And that's kind of mm-hmm. what you're talking about here. Absolutely. These are epigenetic, we call it epigenetic mm-hmm. influences. So these, these things that you might never connect together, like the stress of mom, the nutrient status of mom, what she was doing at the time, what she was eating at the time of pregnancy that express, you know, we, we do know that there are genes, for example, in the case that I'm, I'm talking about, um, that preclude you to actually having chronic migraine headaches. I mean, that, that, oh. is, that information is out there now. But whether that gene is expressed, turned on or turned off can be mm-hmm. influenced by nutrition, you know, toxic exposure, sure. whether that be toxic stress or toxic environment. I mean, many, many of these, quote, epigenetic factors can influence the expression of the gene. And, you know, so... Understandably, uh, sure. Yeah. So, in the case in the case of this uh, young adult with migraines, what, can you share some of what came out of his or her medical past, uh, or just physiological past that had a, an impact on on the person in front of you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, this particular patient. Um, mother there was un, under a, a great deal of stress at the time of conception and delivery with mood chronic you know did you hear that motorcycle i, I did yeah okay i gotta close the window and we'll start that answer <laughs> over because this is not going to play well with Peoria. hang on <laughs> You know, one of the things I loved about the pandemic and about the lockdown was how quiet it was all the time. <laughs> Isn't that And I truth? think I'm really going to lose it now that we're getting back to normal. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. Okay. I know. I, so let's, yeah. uh, let, let's start with the answer again. Yeah. So this particular patient, um, they, the mom was under a great deal of stress. There was a, you know, there was a breakup, uh, uh with her um, partner at the time. I mean, you know, tons of stress. They were moving into a new environment. They were moving into, not only into a new home, but into a new home that may not have been the cleanest of homes, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, mom, you know, unfortunately she she wasn't nurturing her body. So she wasn't, you know, feeding herself really good foods, the nutrients that we know that are involved in these fancy biochemical reactions that occur in the brain that are contributing to um, mm-hmm. whether or not a person manifests migraine headache or not. So, you know, these things like dopamine and epinephrine and all of these 
biochemical pathways that get in, involved in these in migraine headaches and one of the theories with migraine headache if you will and some of the drugs that are that are targeted to to you know for migraine headaches actually work on those pathways for example but so specific activation of these particular hormones you know you know again um, poor nutrition lots of stress you know you know then um unfortunately the the patient was born by c-section c-section delivery yeah and there's something in there's something in the actual vaginal birth and the way the coating interacts with the skin that actually affects the development of the immune system right yes absolutely so so you um, remove that that makes you more vulnerable yes so just you know the inoculation too of the bacteria on the way out the vaginal vault you know the yeah. you know mm -hmm. There are lots of studies on that. You know, you swab the, well, you actually look at the stool of kids that are born by, you know, C-section delivery, and you look at the stool that are born by vaginal delivery, and they're very different bacteria. And the- Wow. So it affects the microbiome too? That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. Yes. There's very, very intricate interaction interaction with the microbiome and we we now know you know getting off subject a little bit but that's fine but children that are born by c-section have higher rates of atopic dermatitis so eczema mm -hmm. allergies asthma um, than the kids that are born vaginally um, and mm. and and so there's this very direct communication between specific microbes in the immune system. Yeah. And in and, so, and the mechanical yeah. aspects of being a human organism, yeah. which is how you and I originally met was trying to help change some of your mechanical aspects. Um, <laughs> they just yeah. come in the process of, of the shaping of the embryo and the, in the journey into the second phase of life. So, how much can you change that if it goes all the way back then? How does that work? Yeah. So, you know, we have pediatricians that are involved in this kind of work, such as myself. Um, we know that we've got about two years to really manipulate the gut microbiome in and it's not like if we don't do it by age two, you're doomed. I mm -hmm. mean, we, because we definitely, <laughs> we definitely do a lot of work with that after the age of two, but. Really glad to hear that. As pediatricians, you're fine, David. I'm <laughs> there, there's hope for you. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm glad I work where I work. <laughs> right? Likewise. Um, but, you know, this concept of intestinal permeability or leaky guts, and you combine that with microbes that are more inflammatory in these first two years, um, you know, this is a real deal. It, you know, they, God bless the chiropractors. They were talking about leaky gut for 
like mm-hmm. decades. And, and then it took this pediatric gastroenterologist from Harvard to come in and say, he's Italian. And he says, no, oh, we're going to call this impaired intestinal integrity. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love I love language. Le- leaky gut, le- leaky gut gives you a very good picture, but it seems a little absurd. But impaired <laughs> intestinal permeability—it's like okay, that's sciencey enough that I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. So, so how how does one how does one assess uh, intestinal? Um, what was that again? Yeah, intestinal permeability. Yes. How how does one test for that? And then how does one mediate it? We all have some degree of intestinal permeability. I mean, it just, that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but it's this genetic, it's this triad of this genetic predisposition coupled with some sort of antigenic, we call it, or external trigger, whether that trigger be food in the case of celiac disease mm-hmm. um, and and a degree of intestinal permeability that leads to the manifestation of many disease states. So again, genetics, exposure, intestinal permeability, most of this research was done um, out of, um, you know, Harvard by this particular researcher that I was, Dr. Alessio Fasano mm-hmm. is his name. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he, most of his work w- was in the world of celiac disease, but out of that work came, you know, there's, you know, this, this, mm-hmm this triad that exists with celiac disease, but it exists also with many other diseases and these gut and organ associations are now very clear gut brain, gut migraine, for example. Mm -hmm. So in this particular person that we're talking about, um, restoring intestinal permeability, um, Assuming that it's already there, you can assume that it's there. I'm a, like you alluded to, I'm a data guy and I do like to do laboratory testing to actually look for these kinds of things. So in this particular patient, I actually did um, a stool, a very sophisticated stool study looking at biomarkers that are associated with intestinal permeability and um, one of those biomarkers is this chemical or this immunoglobulin called secretory IgA. And another one is called zonulin, which um, secretory IgA is this immunoglobulin that acts as our first line to intestinal barrier um, okay. function. It'd be the pawns in the game of chess, you could say. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it sort of gets upregulated when people have intestinal permeability. And and so we can measure that. And then these zonulin 
family peptides, they're the, the part of this whole networking process that occurs with, um, within the gut wall itself that helps to, to keep the gut wall sealed, if you will. Okay. And, and you can measure, uh, you know, those in the stool to see whether or not um, that particular uh, issue is at hand as well. And in this particular patient, um, she had, she had both, you know, zonulin dysfunction and secretory IgA uh, elevation. So it told me that she did have this upregulation of this intestinal, you know, lining this immune barrier um and so we could assume that she was she had leaky gut and yeah. so yeah what 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 would be some of the symptoms that one would notice if one had that well you <laughs> you you name it okay. <laughs> excuse me you name it and mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately there is just a lot there's a lot of symptoms it's it because it this this was discovered in the context of autoimmune, you know, celiac disease. Mm-hmm. We, we realized that this this element of intest- impaired intestinal integrity is part of many autoimmune conditions. Sure, and you know, I, I guess my concern is, as often happens when something when when there's a new kid on the block. Suddenly, yeah. everybody has that diagnosis. Whether remember it was twenty years ago, it was candida. Everybody had candida. Yeah. And then yeah. ten years ago, it was adrenal fatigue, and everybody had adrenal fatigue. And yeah. it's like, well, maybe you had aspects of that, but but not really a full blown case of it. So I'm just wondering if that's sometimes what we're looking at here too. People kind yeah. of we we have Doctor Googley, which is both a. <laughs> A, a plus and a minus is we can find out really good information, but sometimes we find out a lot of really good, bad information. Yeah, exactly. And, and as it comes down to it, you're right. A lot of these disease states have this element associated with intestinal permeability. And it's hard for us to know how much of a role it's playing. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, with the right tests and markers, you can make a better educated guess. That's that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And then and then you, if we kind of find an, an offending agent, for example, you know, patients with chronic migraine often have food sensitivities. You know, that are these foods are working with their way through the intestinal barrier, and you know, seventy percent of our immune cells are housed within the gut wall. So you get this very robust immunologic response that doesn't just stay locally, but it goes systemically. And, mm-hmm. and so if we can take that, that antigen or allergen, if you will, away, if we can remove it, figure out what it is and then remove it, then you know, those are, can be potentially very huge wins for um, particular patients, it's not always, you know, a lot, it's not, again, the, the whole, at the whole um, aspect of functional medicine or the whole 
functional medicine concept is it's really we're not we're it's not linear at all it's it's very we're attacking things from multiple angles so gut permeability would just be one thing and food sensitivity as it relates to gut permeability just one part of that puzzle but we're simultaneously working on other things and well we we evolve as embryos in a in a non-linear fashion everything is growing and changing and, and morphing all simultaneously and that simultaneity of function continues on for the rest of our lives and um a chronic condition is not something as simple say as a sprained ankle which is a simple model more or less Mm -hmm. of architecture but untreated that sprained ankle could affect circulation could infect nerve flow which uh, and so on and so on and so on 10 or 15 years later could affect could affect much more than that I, i had a patient with a frozen shoulder that um had suffered from a concussion two and a half years prior to the frozen shoulder didn't see the correlation between the two Ah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you need to go to a post-concussion specialist and then come back because uh, that's, that's not my forte, but that, that happens a lot. The, the sequela. Exactly. Yeah. And they they don't teach that in medical school, do they? Because you have a traditional (laughs) medical education. (laughs) Absolutely not. not. And mm -hmm. yeah. And, and again, you know, I, I was not a, you know, when I first ventured into this area of medicine, I I was like leaky gut, what, really? And it just, the more I dug in and more I dug into the research, the more I, I, you know, I, I became an educated believer and, and, you know, and I see what a huge impact when you can address that, um, a huge impact in clinical symptoms that it can it can make in the patient and in these these topics are not one that are you know especially it we're lucky at the university of pittsburgh we we have this center for microbiome and medicine that is really one nationally recognized and it, you know this kind of research is going on you know the, the research around the microbiome and intestinal integrity you know, you say these sorts of things in the academic circles at PET and you don't get looked at like you have three heads if right. can, compared to if you might be some other place in the country. Um, mm-hmm. So this this definitely isn't going anywhere. There's going to be more and more and more research on it. And it excites me because then it can really, you know, really help me to make even you know better decisions about what what are the better tests to order and what are the better treatment yeah. plans m- moving forward in this particular patient's case she was really super sensitive to cured meats hmm. and um and dairy which dairy comes up a lot for a lot of yes individuals as a sort of an inflammatory mm-hmm. food and um and so removing these particular foods and restoring gut barrier function is just part of uh mm-hmm. you know the way we 
we helped her move forward. I helped her move forward. But again, simultaneously addressing, you know, at the center of the functional medicine matrix, we call it, or the functional medicine paradigm mm-hmm. is this whole concept that the mo- mental, emotional, spiritual piece of the individual needs to be really highly intact and or else the rest of the systems have a great chance of falling apart. And sure. because there is such crosstalk between the systems that you mm-hmm. do get all of this, like you were saying, overlap. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I've got about three questions. I don't quite know where to, to lead with, but let's do yeah. the most recent. So when you've got a patient, uh, how do you address the, uh, there's not a standard spiritual intake form um, uh, that I'm aware of. So how do you how do you bring that into the room? I I have questions, you know, on my intake questionnaire mm-hmm. as it relates to um, you know whether or not they have a spiritual spirituality mm-hmm. practice, whether they um, you know, I, I have an open-ended sort of what sort of things do you do to address the mind-body aspect? Like I already could sort of set the tone. Nice, nice. Um, kind of, and, um, you know, I get everything from I garden to listen to music to I have this really, you know, robust mindfulness-based stress reduction you know, process that uh, mm-hmm. practice that I endorse. Um, you know, so some people are in a on this journey in various different places, and so I I introduce it. I I often will will tell them that it was part of my own story. You know, you know, in my particular case, again, not mm-hmm. saying that this is for everybody, but. I had to believe in a power that was greater than myself, you know, in order to turn my, mm-hmm. my concerns over to, um, you know, I discussed the power of breath work and thankfully, you know, at the center for integrated medicine, as you know, David, we have such great training in this kind of work. Yes. And, and, you know, and I've, I've taken those courses a couple of times myself, the mindfulness-based stress reduction courses, and uh, have found them to be incredibly beneficial. Yeah. And so but I often will share that. Well, you had a pretty profound story yourself with functional medicine for your own self, correct? That's right. Could yeah. you share that? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, we're... Where do I start with? <laughs> well, let's go okay. back to the womb. If we're going to do this, let's do it right. <laughs> right? If we're going to do it right. Um, but you know, how old were you when you first went in this direction? Um, went in the direction of functional medicine or? Yeah, because yeah, you, were, you were a young doctor. You were trying to figure out the way you wanted to practice medicine. There were some things about you that needed mending also. Yeah. So, you know, I always, I will say that I always questioned, like I was, I was, um, I always had 
an upset stomach. Like I remember that as like a a young kid, you know, like just nothing seemed to ever really agree with me. I would always, you know, lay in positions that would make my belly feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I I never put, you know, my parents never put two and two together. I was, you know, I was uh, an anxious person. Um, you know, this whole again gut brain connection was I I didn't know there was such a thing. My parents didn't know there was such a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean genetically sure. I am this was what the seventies? Eighties? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh you know and then you know nutritionally just really um ate sort of the standard American diet. Uh, you know, my mom, bless her, God rest her soul. I mean, she's, she, she really tried her hardest, you know, she did what she knew was best to do. And that just happened to be eating a lot of um, TV dinners and, yeah, you know, and processed food. And so nutritionally, I just wasn't getting what I needed uh, as well. And, you know, and then throw me into a um, fast forward many years, medical school residency. And then I decide I'm going to do a loan repayment plan, you know, in rural America. I, okay. And, and I didn't do it until I was literally um, in my 40s. I, mm. I had like $250,000 of student loan indebtedness on my back. And I... So it's go to this place nobody wants to go to and we'll cut you a deal. Exactly. Okay, yeah, good move. Exactly, yeah. So great to get the loans paid off. But again, my foundation mm-hmm. was just not strong. And, yeah. um, and all of that stress of working in that kind of environment, I was the only pediatrician for three counties. I, um, you know, <laughs> you know, I gained a tremendous amount of weight. I was, you know, I, I, I all the things. Yeah, all of the things. Yeah. So, and I um soon after slipped a couple of discs in my neck, and uh, and you know it was a pretty profound presentation for the way I did it. It was mm. completely disproportionate to the mechanism. Uh-huh. Uh, and so like you, you just slip the disc, you like trip them down the stairs and <laughs> exactly. sprawled in the floor. <laughs> exactly. Well, you did, in reality was turn your head to the left. It was like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which led to a couple of surgeries, and I, I, I lacked motor, you know, you know, skill like proper motor function in in the arm, mm-hmm. the main affected arm. Um, that was slow to come back, and but then the sensory aspect, the the, the pain aspect of of these damaged nerve fibers just remained there, and. You know, the retrospective scope again is always 2020, but I was already predisposed to a funky gut, you know, this poor nutritional um, status. And I, I had had back in medical school, I had had this astute 
elderly physician who was really a retired physician working in the student health, um, you know, area. And he actually did a, B, a vitamin B12 level on me and it was non-existent. Wow. Yeah. And like if, for people that know B12 metabolism, it really, it, it takes a lot to be, have a v, vitamin B12 of zero because you store it. And so this reflected many years of vitamin B12 deficiency. And, um, and that is thought to have, because of the importance of vi vitamin B12 and what it does for neuro healing, if you will, that was that tied into part of my story as to why I wasn't really responding well to traditional, like what we would typically think of tr traditional treatments for this crazy yeah. disc, disc slip, if you will. Yeah, sure, sure. And then I injured my, the, the same arm, the dominant arm um, in this just really freak accident that involved a stretch maneuver of my arm and like re literally reaching for something. And, um, and again, putting stress on the nerves and you know this way better than I do. You understand that physiology. <laughs> physiology way better than I do. Um, yeah. So, so. So physician, how did you heal thyself? Yeah, right. Um, so I really, you know, I, I looked at it. I, I had already been at this point, I, I had already gone back to get a master's in nutrition because like, you know, I always wanted to know more about nutrition. Doctors aren't trained in nutrition in school. We get a few hours worth of it, which is just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you think of it in the scheme of things. So I really focused on really healthy, clean foods and um, obviously B vitamin B12, sources of vitamin B12, um, you know, to help with that aspect and then um, dug into the like, well, why, why am I not absorbing it? And I did have sort of a mild inflammatory bowel disease that like a, almost like a, a very mild Crohn's like picture that didn't allow me to absorb vitamin B12. And so I was, I, I was mainly working on integrative therapies to actually help with that, which, are considered integrative, but actually, um, according to my gastroenterologist, she uses them very frequently, Good. such as like high dose omega-3 fatty acids mm -hmm. and curcumin, anti-inflammatory aspects of those that are very well accepted in the traditional academic community as adjunctive treatments for inflammatory bowel disease, especially the, the level that I had. Mm -hmm. And then paying attention to, you know, just really paying attention to what I was putting into my body and with what I was doing to modify my stressors as well. Well, I, th I think you point to something, the next medical revolution, uh, but a body is not just something you have, it's something you cultivate. Yeah. So what you're talking about 
in terms of healing yourself was a lengthy process. Oh, absolutely. And because you had to, you know, you had to recultivate a lot and you had to pull a lot of weeds uh, along the way. Mm -hmm. What was, how long was the process for you to the point where you felt like, ah, I've got my life back the way I always wanted it. Uh, still there. I'm, I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that work-life balance, it's, yeah. But it's like it literally, truly is a journey. Um, obviously, it's a very much a journey. And uh, but as as it relates specifically to my gut and the, you know, um, again, I'm uh, attacking the anxiety piece from mul multiple ways, but sure. mainly through mindfulness based uh, stress reduction, meditation, but from just like, if we can just, again, put it in silos just for this uh, purpose yeah. from the, from the gut perspective, it was about six years. Wow. Um, yes. Um, because I trying to identify triggering foods, mm -hmm. um, working on my microbiome, getting it optimized, um, from an inflammatory look to a, a look that is not inflammatory, um, modulating the the gut barrier. Uh, you know, it, it's a journey. It really, yeah. truly is a journey. And, for a lot of and, people, like in my story, it was because mm -hmm. I carried this for so many years. Yeah, yeah. But many of the people, well, many of the people that we treat come into us having carried things for many, many, many years. And I think you point out to something else, the, the first step to better health is better self-awareness, better self-observation. Mm -hmm. Oh, every time I eat X, I sneeze. Hmm. For me, it's red <laughs> onions. Maybe I shouldn't eat red onions because every time I eat them, I sneeze. I have no idea why, but yeah. it's probably not something I should eat. It can be as simple as that. You know? It can it can be. I love those kinds kinds of wins, right? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I real I really do. The, um, the obvious ones, or I get a bad sinus attack every time I have a glass of red wine. Hmm. Maybe uh -huh. there's a, maybe maybe there's a connection. So if you were king of the forest, yeah. and you could design, not prince, not duke, and you could design. <laughs> like the 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 ultimate Carl Holzer medical clinic. <laughs> uh, like how would patient care start? And yeah. you know, it would have lots of spokes, but what would be at the hub of the wheel? That's that is such a great question, David, and one that I have given tremendous thought to. Uh and through my story and through the many patients that I've touched and that have touched me, I really think, again, the hub of the wheel has to be the mental, emotional, spiritual piece. That I've even thought of, of this, um, David, as, um, you know, in order for a patient to work with me, they the family needs to actually have some buy-in with the mindfulness-based stress reduction modalities and mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. mindfulness in general. Well, if they're, if they're living in a family environment, that's part of the epigenetics of their day-to-day -day existence, right? Exactly. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're not in an environment that supports the change, it's really hard to make the change. It is really hard to make the change. So, so how hard was it to get the buy-in from families in these cases? It's really, really not. It's, mm. you know, because, because I think it's the type of patients that I attract. I think, um, you know, because they're many of them are so chronically, even, you know, at, a kid that's been through, you know, you name whatever autoimmune disease, you know, the family is really kind of desperate when they yeah. come to see me. They really want somebody to listen and try to piece the puzzles, parts of the puzzles together. And, you know, I get a very common reaction in when I work with families is, you know, many of them shed tears because as I recite back to them their story, like basically I've heard exactly what they've told me. Um, they often will cry because it's like they feel like they've never really been heard before. Yeah. And and, and so they're if I suggest to them, you know, even if it's just a simple darn, you know five minute application on the phone, you know, like mm-hmm. I have a few favorites, you know, of these phone apps for mind body work. If just, if they can just get dip their toes in the water to that, mm-hmm. I, I get really close to a hundred percent buy-in with that, that. That's fantastic. And I think that points to a good thing too, because our, uh, our devices here get a lot of flack for being yeah. uh, every evil with society. And, and, and that's, I mean, don't get me started on Instagram influencers, but uh, <laughs> the, the very fact that there are breathing apps and meditation apps, and there's more than one kind. So you can find the kind that works with you. And it takes it takes some of the weirdness and the hooky-dookiness out of it for yeah. people who are not predisposed to that. Cause it's like, okay, it's a thing I do on my phone, like, uh, like Farmville or, or something else. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just, just a, it's a mind, body, spirit Farmville. Okay. I can go with that. You know, it actually, that, that's, that's a great, uh, great improvement <laughs> and compared right. to like what it was in the seventies. I've got to imagine. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and the kids are so familiar with the, you know, phone apps and, and I'll often, you know, whether I'm doing this through a telemedicine platform, which is what I've been doing for the last year because of COVID, um, or doing it in person, I will actually do a meditation with them, you know, to, to mm-hmm. teach them how, you know, to do it. But I, sure. I really highly encourage them given based on their age, to actually enroll in our in our program at the at the center because I again I've done it twice and I so so highly endorse it and th- that's yeah. very helpful for especially the people that need more of a didactic kind of structured mm-hmm. way of of doing this and um, and of course it incorporates body movement into it as well which. Um, you know, this is the mindfulness-based stress reduction program that was out of Mass General, you know, um, and it's it's the exact same program that's taught throughout many, you know, institutions across 
the world, really. Uh, you know, it's an eight-week program, and it's it's a time commitment. But if families are willing, I mean, again, if they've they've made it to me, uh, yeah. they're often willing to go that extra mile to do that. And so <clears throat> that's where I would start, David, to to, mm-hmm. to answer you. Okay. And then the the second place I would start would be their gut. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I just might have walked over, walked on top of a question that you're about to ask. Sorry. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, so mind, body, spirit, gut. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and really, we have this thing, you know, within the functional medicine docs. Um, it's really taught to us in these certification programs. Uh, which, by the way, are amazingly rigorous. Uh, like it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. But um, is when in doubt to start with a gut because it's a lot of bang for the buck, and uh, it's you know it's it you know it's the organ that has the most connection with the external environment. I mean, if you you know you, most people think of the as being the largest organ of the body mm-hmm. if, if, if they can wrap their head around skin being an organ yeah although i'm speaking to a fascia specialist so i, I gotta watch what i say <laughs> we we can have differences of well-educated differences of opinion that's fine that's fine i, I just say fascia is the most heavily enervated organ yes. in the body yeah yeah so yeah yeah but um but, but um you know, the size of, you know, the, if you unfold our lungs, it's the size of a tennis court. So, I mean, you know, we're going to argue about size. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. So, you know, they say what, 300 meters squared for, you know, the size, if you lay out the, the gut out mm-hmm. and yeah. so lots of interaction with the external environment from, allergens that we may be swallowing you know pollen or whatever it is that that they're actually Mm -hmm. getting into the gut or and foods you know and again i said before most of our immune system is housed within the the gut 70 percent we don't even think about our happy brain chemistry being housed there as well 75 percent of our neurotransmitters is are housed in that area as well. And Mm -hmm. it's, um, you get, you know, when you can work on, on gut function, really a lot of, a lot of these other issues will dissipate. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, because there's so much crosstalk between the gut and other end organs. Sure. So if somebody listening now wants to find a functional medicine physician such as yourself, where can they go? Yeah. So uh, the best and most reliable place is through the website in IFM, as in Mary Institute for mm-hmm. Functional Medicine, dot O-R-G. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And it's, um, there's a, you know, there's a certification process through the Institute for Functional Medicine um, that's pretty rigorous. It can take as little as a couple of years to do and as long as several years to do. Um, 
that involves in taking multiple educational modules in the many different systems of the body um, and then doing a written exam which was literally the hardest exam of my entire life um, and i've taken quite a few of them yeah um, you have <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then uh a case case study um and and so it's a so you can be certified you can you can dabble in a few courses or you can actually be certified and i generally recommend looking for somebody that is actually certified yeah this and is not something they, something you can dabble in yeah yeah that's right so and, well, uh, and uh, yeah Carl, thanks for thanks for giving some time today to do this and oh, for coming absolutely. on the show. It's been absolutely. really, really great. It's been my pleasure, David. Fantastic. Always. All right. We'll see you next time on Body Talk. Okay. okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of Body Talk. Any questions? Questions for me? Questions for our guest? Send me an email. BodyTalkDavid at gmail.com or you can use the Anchor app and send me a voice memo. How cool is that? I'm David Lasondak. Join me next week when we continue to explore your inner universe on Body Talk. <laughs>